We're in our second Sunday of our series, Potholes. And, and yes, we are talking about potholes and we're defining them as this. We're defining them as the things in life that nudge us off our path in life. Potholes are the things that, that everyone will inevitably hit at some point in their life. Could be that you spill coffee on your on your pants on the way out of work on the way out to work for the morning, and then you're late, so you have to speed, and you get pulled over, and you have to pay a ticket, and then you're late for your your job. Those are all potholes, things things that just nudge you off your path. They they're making things go the way well you didn't want them to go, but potholes can be a lot more serious than that too. It can be the unexpected news uh, of a loved one who has passed away. It can be the loss of a job. It could be sickness that, that is chronic and will not go away. You know, potholes can be and come in all shapes and sizes. But the thing of it is, potholes, regardless of what they are, they, they don't need to derail our entire life, right? But potholes, when they are unaddressed, when they go unfixed, and when we maybe just hit enough of them in our life, well, they can start to break us down frustrate us for sure, and perhaps worse of all, lead us down a path that, that we had never meant to be going down in the first place. These are potholes. Series, we're going to look at the things that fill in potholes. But back to Cleo. What happens when it's your mindset, it's your attitude that is causing these things in your life and, and you don't recognize it. You know, Cleo was closed-minded for sure. He was closed-minded about the Bible and th this is just the start of his problems. Cleo claimed to be a believer. He claimed to know Jesus. But you see, Cleo, he had some preconceptions about who Jesus was. He thought Jesus was going to bring peace. And well, he wasn't really experiencing much of that in his country. He thought that Jesus was going to be here and should, if he's real at least, be the one to unite us. To restore love between mankind. You try to tell Cleo, that's not right. That's, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. He would quickly snap, no, you're wrong and you're closed-minded. You ever meet somebody like that? You meet somebody who maybe has a different point of view or a different belief about, well, some important moral issues. Maybe it's end-of-life things like euthanasia or beginning-of-the-life things like abortion, the definition of marriage. Or maybe the idea that Jesus is the only way to salvation. You, you express your belief and this person says to you, no, you're wrong. You're being closed-minded. And in that accusation is, well, actually an ad admission that they're equally closed-minded. Like I said, this is just the start of Cleo's problems. I wish I could say he was just closed-minded, but he was also close-hearted about life. He, his face was set on downcast. His heart was set on hurt. Why? Well, because none of his expectations were being met by his God. He expressed more hate than love because of this. He experienced more fear than joy. He was more, well, discontent about this and everything than he was satisfied. He was more pessimistic than optimistic. He was more fearful than cheerful. 
You ever meet someone like that too? Heart just is set on hurt. This isn't all. His closed-mindedness, his closed-heartedness about life, well, it also started to affect the way that he treated other people. He was closed-mouthed, if you will, toward people. He didn't say much. He didn't know what to say to people. And when he did speak to people, he made them feel bad. He made them feel dumb for maybe not knowing what he knew. He talked more than he listened. He's closed-minded. He was closed-hearted. He was closed-mouthed. And the interesting thing, the sad thing about closed-minded people is, well, the most dangerous thing is that they would never admit they're closed-minded. It's their perceived open-mindedness that is the problem. You ever meet somebody like that? This morning we're going to talk about what changed for Cleo. We're going to talk about a day, actually, where he met somebody on his walk home that opened his mind, opened his heart, really opened his mouth and got him talking about things and talking about things in ways that he had never talked about before and changed the course of his life forever. The day he happened to be walking home was Easter Sunday. And actually, it was the first Easter Sunday And Cleo was walking home, and he met a person that goes by the name Jesus of Nazareth. And him and his friend talked to Jesus. They got to know Jesus. They got to know Jesus much differently, much better than they ever had before. What I'm talking about is the story that may be familiar to some of you. It's the story of two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's the very first Easter Sunday. Jesus had just burst forth from the tomb, defeating sin, death, and the devil. And guess what? His disciples couldn't find him. So two of the disciples said, I said, I'm packing it up. I'm going home. The Gospel of Luke names one of them. It's Cleopas. Cleo for short. Doesn't name the other one. As they're walking along, Jesus connects with them. He says, hey, what's going on, guys? And Cleopas gets up on his soapbox and starts preaching a sermon about Jesus to Jesus and says, you don't know Jesus? Have you been living under a rock? Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus (laughs) listens to this sermon about himself and then gets to teach Cleopas, gets to make himself known. That's what we're talking about today, knowing Jesus. And specifically, we're talking about how knowing Jesus, knowing who he is, what he did, and what he does is the foundation that can fill in, fix, or flatten any pothole you experience. But specifically, we're going to talk about three of them. Here's our outline for today. We're going to talk about how knowing Jesus does this. It opens minds and fixes the potholes of preconception. It opens hearts and fixes the potholes of dejection and sadness. And knowing Jesus opens mouths and fixes the potholes of discrimination. This is where we're at today. Let's read the story about Cleo, Jesus, and Cleo's companion as they walk on the road to Emmaus. We're in Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Now, the same day, That is the same day that Jesus has risen. The same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. 
As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside of them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Uh, What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth? They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did, the, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into, glory, into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This is God's word thus far. Imagine being Cleo. You hear the report from the ladies. You hear Peter and John say, yeah, they're right. Jesus is gone. And you leave. You go back home because your boy is gone. You you don't know what to do about it. You start making your way home and you're sad. You're sad because your hopes were not fulfilled. You see, Cleopas and all the disciples, really, they had expectations. They believed in Jesus, but they had some preconceptions, some assumptions that they made about Jesus. They were expecting not a redemption of themselves and a resurrection of Christ, but they were expecting the revolution of Christ and the redemption of Israel. It's their pothole of a preconception. And so Jesus takes his nail-marked hands and he begins to fix the potholes. Here's what he says. He says, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, he says, you fools, you believe some of it, but not all of it. And they did, right? They believed some of it. They believed that Jesus would be a king. They believed that Jesus would be a savior, but not all of it. They believed he would be merely an earthly king, an earthly savior, a political savior. He'd make their nation of Israel great again. They had some preconceptions about who Jesus was. And so here's how Jesus fixed their potholes. He says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It's simple. He goes back to Moses. He goes back to Israel. He goes back to all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. He quotes David from the Psalms and he says, this, these, these were talking about 
the Messiah. These were talking about the Christ. He had to do these things. So you think about this and you think, well, maybe we're being hard on Cleopas. Maybe we're being a little bit, little bit rough on him and his companion, right? After all, they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have the whole Bible after all, did they? How could Jesus be so hard on them? John 3.16 wasn't written. They couldn't look that up. They couldn't read 1 Corinthians 15 and where Paul talks and explains to us the significance of the resurrection. I mean, they just had the Old Testament. They didn't have it even in print. They had it as a couple of scrolls that sat on the shelf in the temple. You know, how could they have known all about Jesus? And certainly they didn't, they didn't have this. They didn't have over a hundred different translations on their phone, giving them a verse of the day where they could have read about Jesus, right? Maybe we shouldn't be so hard on them. But let's take that line of thought for a second. Some of you are not buying it, but let's take it for a second then what's your excuse? Because I think the same words can be said to us, right? How foolish we are and how slow we are to believe all that the prophets and the apostles have written. Now there's some promises. Surely I will be with you always. And we are slow to believe that. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Apart from me, you can do no good thing. I don't really believe that. I can do things without him. And so what happens? We're just like Cleo. We develop our own preconceptions when our expectations of Jesus aren't met. We look for a Jesus that's going to give our kids straight A's or straight teeth. We look for a Jesus that's going to make my life better. A Jesus that is. He's going to unite everybody, restore love and peace and unity here on earth. Or at least a Jesus that's going to make this week easier. So what are we going to do about it when we have potholes of preconception in our life? I'll tell you what I want to do. What I want to do is take my Bible. I want to take all of your Bibles. And if I could, I want to grab one page in all of them and I want to rip it out. Some of you are looking at me like, that's troubling. You just told us to not make up things about Jesus, and now you're starting to rip pages out of Scripture? Let me show you which one I'm talking about. It comes right after the last chapter of Malachi, and it comes right before the first chapter of Matthew, and it's this one right here. My Bible has just two words, New Testament. Maybe yours has three, the New Testament. And all it is is a page that has those words on it. And all it does is put a barrier between the old and the new. Why do I want to rip this page out of Scripture? It's because I want you to know what Cleopas and his comrade knew from Jesus himself. All of this is talking about Jesus, that beginning to end from the first words of creation until the word made flesh in John, from the first Passover to the Passover celebrated on the night that he was betrayed, from the flood that swept over the Egyptians after Israel had passed through to the floodwaters of your baptism that are referred to throughout the New Testament, I want you to know That Jesus was there. Jesus was there through all of it, in all of it, working for one thing and one thing alone. You. So that you might be with him 
in heaven. You know, all of scripture from the first let there be to the last, yes, I am coming back, amen in Revelation. It's all one. Scripture, you can picture it like this. You can picture it like a stream. You can picture it like a stream of water that starts in Genesis with, with just a little trickle. And after we see Adam and Eve fall into sin, what we also see is a God who makes a gospel promise. Say, I'm sending my son to fix this. You, you paddle down this river a little farther and what you come to is the narratives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and God's promise to them to grow a nation. What you realize is that their narrative is mine. That the God of grace, whose grace is ever growing, is telling a story not just about saving and building this nation, but saving me. And you see it happen. You see it happen when you watch Israel be, be freed from slavery in Egypt and be brought into a land flowing with honey. And what you hear throughout all of that is promises. Promises to God's people, you and me as well, that this isn't it. This isn't the be all to end all. I'm doing more. I'm freeing you from sin and I'm bringing you into eternal land flowing with milk and honey. This is scripture. And I want to rip that page out because here's what happens. Here's what often happens. Is this stream that flows in Genesis to the, from the beginning to the very end is dammed up often right in the middle with that page, the New Testament. It's not just a page. What it does, it sets a mindset in people that maybe, well, causes these potholes of preconception. And what we start to do is we start to see the Old Testament is this separate body of water that gives laws. The New Testament is another body that, eh, it gives the good news gospel. Uh, we see this Old Testament God who is all about telling cool stories and teaching us how to live. And this New Testament Jesus that lived for us, when in fact, there is no dam there holding these waters together. They're all one and they all rush together to point through one thing and one thing alone. That the Jesus of yesterday, the Jesus of the Old Testament is there. The Jesus of the New Testament is here today and he's here for you. Know this. Know this Jesus. It's the Jesus that, Je that he got to make known to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it's our first fill in the blank for the day. It's this. That knowing Jesus means becoming open-minded by the Holy Spirit who works in Scripture to see in Scripture that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. This is what it means to know Jesus. Not a Jesus that we invent. Not a Jesus that we have ideas about. Not just a Jesus of the New Testament, but the Jesus who was there in the beginning in the words of God. The Jesus who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And was working through all and in all things to be your Lord and Savior. And when you know this Jesus... When you know this Jesus who, who reveals himself to us in the same way that he revealed himself to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, more amazing things start to happen. He opens hearts, he enters hearts, and he sets hearts on fire. Let's continue reading Luke chapter 24. We're going to pick it up again at verse 27. And beginning with Moses... 
and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is the gospel thus far. You know, we might, we might give them a hard time for not understanding the Bible, but it's pretty understandable that their hearts, their eyes were closed to God. After all, this is, this is the default position of all people to God because of sin. This is what the New, New Testament and the Old Testament tell us. Isaiah 59 says this. He says, your iniquities, your sins have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. Romans, the New Testament says the same thing. You want to talk about a mindset? Here's what it says. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Closed minds and closed hearts are the default position to our God. It's no wonder that life then is, is one that Cleo shows us is, is one that is just dejection. When your heart and your relationship are close, closed to God, what does that mean? His goodness, his grace are slammed shut to you. His mercy, his forgiveness are closed off to you. All the other things that God gives, his hope, his forgiveness, his confidence, his purpose, his life, both here, purpose, eternity, forever, that life is not yours. It's closed. That's what sin does. It closes us to God. It acts, well, maybe the same way that our hearts do in real life. Because being closed off to God isn't just an eternal consequence. It's a consequence you feel right now. Picture, picture someone who has a heart attack. It's not just the moment of the attack where things don't go well. Well, it's leading up to that, that life is difficult. And here's why. There's, there's this waxy substance called plaque that builds up in the arteries and the veins and in the hearts of people. And the more and more plaque that gets built up in the veins and the arteries and the hearts, that means more rich oxygenated blood cannot flow to the heart. Sin happens the same way. The more sin that clogs our veins, that means the more life-giving blood of Jesus Christ that brings the hope, the forgiveness, the peace, the joy, the love, that can enter as well. It's closed off. You have trouble breathing. You have trouble living. And eventually you die. Yeah, it makes sense that Cleo's face is dejected. It's downcast. But in enters Jesus, 
then enters a message of the gospel that is a message of openness. As heaven's doors open up, Jesus comes down and the great physician performs the greatest open heart surgery ever and removes the plaque from your veins. He removes it and when he opens up the tomb and comes out, what we hear is the temple curtain cut open in two and our relationship with God is no longer one that's closed, it's one that is open. This is it. Knowing Jesus means that being open-hearted is something we are by Jesus who opened our clogged connection to God and made our hearts his home. Because Jesus doesn't just remove the clog. He doesn't just remove the sin. He gives you a brand new heart. He replaces your hard heart of stone with a brand new one and he makes it his place of dwelling. And that's why someone who knows this, someone who knows Jesus and by God's grace has him living in his heart is one that experiences more joy than potholes of fear, is one that experiences more love than hate, experiences more satisfaction than discontent, more appreciation than frustration, more optimism than pessimism, more cheerfulness than fearfulness, more gladness than sadness. Have you ever been around somebody like that? Someone who knows Jesus? Someone who knows the love, the peace, the forgiveness that is theirs in Christ. Someone who knows the identity that they have because God has made them their daughter, their son. I bet you have been around someone like that. Because what happens when you're around a person like that is that they're different. And they often tell you why. Just ask Cleo. Let's finish this out by reading verse 30 and beyond. When Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talk, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the gospel of our Lord. How many of you know what open-sourced software is? All right. I understood the concept of it, but I, I had to look it up to make sure I understood it right. Open source software is a pretty simple idea. It is software technology that someone has created and coded, but it's, it's open to everybody. The creators of it, the people that own the copyright, they give it away. They give it away so that anybody can use it, anybody can learn about it, anybody can share it with anyone else. It's pretty awesome, right? Open sourced software. But the reality is, open source software isn't really all that opened. You see, you have to have a little bit of knowledge to access it, right? And maybe in some cases, you have to have quite a bit of knowledge to access it. You got to know how to code. You got to know how to speak that language. And what's more, for a lot of people, over half of the world's population, guess what? They don't have Wi-Fi 
And so they can't even begin to access it or learn about it. Further still, it's, it's open. It's open to everybody, but it's really open to the tribes who own it. Well, for example, um, pharmaceutical companies, open source software and information about, well, in recipes for, you know, medicine that's shared, but among themselves, you don't have access to that. Or how about your phone numbers? We all have phone numbers, but that is open source to telemarketing companies, not to everybody else, or at least it shouldn't be. Open source software, the openness is, sounds like awesomeness, but the reality is there's really several significant barriers to a lot of what is open source. And that might be a sad thing. It, it might be a safe thing. But what's even more tragic than open source software not really being that open is what happens when Christians take open source gospel and keep it closed. We do that. We do that when we remain closed-mouthed. Think about that. There's nothing more open in all the world. There's nothing more inclusive. There's nothing more for everyone than the message of the gospel, the message that God has opened heaven's doors for everyone through Christ Jesus, the message that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that message is open to all. That message is to be carried to all. And yet, what happens when the people, the tribe, the people with the insider knowledge are closed mouth? Well, then we put potholes in front of people who have it. What is being closed mouthed? Well, it's this. It's, it's demonstrating a narrow opinion of who the gospel's for. A friend of mine, well, his t-shirt summarized this perhaps better than what I'm saying. We know it's important to love thy neighbor as yourself, right? That's what was asked of Jesus in Matthew 22. What's the greatest command? Love thy neighbor, right? And yet, think about it this way. Do we love thy homeless neighbor, thy Muslim neighbor, thy black neighbor, thy gay neighbor, thy immigrant neighbor, the Christian neighbor, the atheist neighbor, the addicted neighbor, the Me Too neighbor, the Asian neighbor, the first American neighbor? Do we love them all the same? Are we open-mouthed towards these people all the same? Are we closed-mouthed? Are we keeping the open source of the gospel, the open source of life to ourselves? You'll listen, here is why this matters. It matters because it matters to Jesus. When Jesus came and made you open-minded to what is in scripture about Jesus revealing himself to you. He gave you certain and sure things in Jesus. He gave you the knowledge that you, all, you don't have to have preconceptions about who Jesus is or what he did. He's going to tell you for certain, I am your Lord and Savior. I bought you. I made you my own. The question of identity doesn't apply to you. That pothole is answered for you. That's filled in. The question of what your eternity looks like, what life after death looks like, you don't have that pothole in your life. It's been filled in because you know Jesus. When Jesus came and he made you not only open-minded to all that he gives you, but also open-hearted about what you have in your open relationship to God, he gave you joy. 
He gave you joy that trumps whatever affliction you're experiencing. He gave you hope even when death knocks on your door. He gave you purpose even when this world makes it seem like I don't know what my purpose is. All of that is yours. There is no potholes of dejection, rejection, and sadness. He's filled all of those in. And when this Jesus makes himself known to you and makes you open-mouthed, giving you the open message of the gospel, well, he also gives you the power through the proclamation of this gospel to start filling in holes for those who are experiencing it. That joy, that love, that forgiveness and peace that we have through the open message of the gospel is the one that he gives all of us. Here's why we know Jesus. Here's what it means to know Jesus. Knowing Jesus means being open-mouthed because Jesus opens our mouth to proclaim the message of heaven's open doors to all. Knowing Jesus, it removes the potholes of discrimination. This message is for everybody. The gospel doesn't discriminate. It's for all. Now, I wonder what would happen if a group of conservative Bible believers, and it's, that's this group right here, and it's a good thing to be conservative Bible believers. It, it means that you hold to what the Bible says, all right? I wonder, I wonder, though, what would happen if a group of conservative Bible believers started to think that maybe being conservative in your approach towards Scripture doesn't make you conservative in your approach towards people or in other words, closed in your approach to other people. I wonder what would happen if the message of the gospel brought about a natural reaction that is essential to the gospel and made us open, accessible to others. Don't have to wonder because I know, Jesus knows more people would be open-minded to who their Jesus is and see him through the scriptures. More people would be open-hearted and experience the love, the joy, the peace that comes, not the dejection. More people would be open-mouthed and proclaim the good news of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. More people, more and more people would know Jesus and would know their way through life to life in him. Amen.